So we're continuing in our Provoke Life campaign as we talk about the kind of community that Jesus launched, his vision for what we call the church, and specifically in his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, uh, and we, we've been drilling down into the Beatitudes as really that, that vision statement, that mission statement for what the church is supposed to, to be uh, in the eyes of Jesus. And so over the first kind of half of Epiphany season, we're looking at Matthew 5, verse 6, and let's read it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So last week, we talked about how Jesus frames righteousness as something tangible, something to be consumed the way that you would consume food or you would consume drink. That as you take righteousness into yourself, you find fulfillment that can't be found through any other pursuit. That you will be fulfilled when you feast on God's future. But what is God's response to us when we go against God's will? When we reject God's wisdom? When we feast on something other than God's future, when we don't hunger and we don't thirst for God's righteousness, there is a judgment to be made, and and we must be brought to justice. Now, we, we think of justice, we think of justice, though, as something that's punitive, that we are punished, that that's how the world sort of handles justice. But God's justice is not punitive. God's justice is restorative. When our lives are defined by God's will, God's wisdom, God's righteousness, when we are restored into that kind of relationship, not only is God's future fulfilling, God's future is just. So in our reading from Micah, God is bringing a charge against God's people. The general theme of the relationship between God and Israel in the Old Testament is that God would make a covenant of provision and protection. He lays out what it means to live into that covenant, and then the people just do the opposite of whatever it is that God said to do. And so that, that violates the covenant and, and there's ju- justice has to happen in, in order for God and the people to be brought back into right relationship. And so God would send prophets like Micah, who we're, we're reading uh, about or reading from today. And, and the job of the prophet was to bring the people to justice, to describe what would happen if they continued on the path that they were on. If they, do, if they don't turn from their ways, here's what's going to happen. Here are the natural consequences of these actions. But the prophets would also describe what a path forward would look like, how they could return into this relationship with God, because God's justice was not punitive. God was not in the business of punishing just for punishment's sake. God's justice is restorative. It's about restoring into right relationship. And so there's another one of these instances where God needs to send a prophet because the people are doing dumb stuff. And so he sends Micah. And Micah uses 
courtroom language. Maybe you're familiar with this language if, if you've ever had to go to court for anything, or if, you've like, if you're like me and you've watched every episode of every version of Law and Order that there's been. Like, this language sounds very familiar. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear, eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people. With Israel, he will argue. So God has an argument. God has a lawsuit with the people. He was bringing them into this metaphor of of a courtroom where God is the plaintiff and the people are the defense. Now, what's missing from this metaphor is the role of the judge, which we think is the important role. That's how justice is is done, is you have two sides and they present it before the judge and the judge declares whatever the, the answer is. And if the defendant is guilty, then there's punishment. It's punitive. But I think there's a reason that no judge is named here, and I think it becomes clear in a second. The people have broken the covenant. Justice has to be done. But it's interesting because God's complaint is not based on some law that was violated or some rule that was broken. There's not this injury that God brings that that there needs to be punishment and restitution over. God says this in verse 3. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. So God doesn't bring a broken law, a broken rule, an injury of some kind. What he brings before them is a broken relationship. He's asking, what did I ever do? What did I ever do to you that would cause you to treat me this way, to treat the covenant this way, to to go your own path? That's why there's not a judge, because this isn't about a rule or a law. It's about a broken relationship that God is trying to restore. And that what this tells us is about how God actually views our sin. When we break God's laws, when we break the rules, when we go against God's will, reject God's wisdom, hunger and thirst for that which is other than God's righteousness. God does not look at it as a wrong to be punished, but a breakdown in relationship between us and God. Because God has been so good to us. Everything good that is in our lives is a result of God's action in our lives. We didn't do that. God has done that either in the direct action, the direct intervention of God, or simply in the way God has made us and has made the people in our lives to produce good things. Certainly we have a role to play and there's free will and there's there's aspects of that. But everything good in your life is a blessing from the Lord. And so what has God ever done that would cause us, that would cause Israel to treat God this way. God doesn't look at it as something punitive. He looks at justice as restorative. 
when we go a different direction than the one God has for us, when we embrace a version of life other than God, God's like, what did I do? That abandoning the blessing of our relationship in favor of something other than what I have, what did I ever do that that became a desirable option? The way God seeks to restore relationship with with God's people and, and with us is by reminding people of all it is that God has done on their behalf. It says in in verse 6, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. So, So the people had, in their history, had been enslaved for 400 years. God rescued them from that slavery sent them leaders to not only lead them into the promised land, but to teach them how to, how to live free. Because just because you, you could take somebody out of Egypt, you can't always take Egypt out of the purse. So they had to learn how to live free in the context of this relationship with God. God says in verse 5, My people remember what Moab king, Moab's king Balak had planned and how Balaam, Baor's son, answered him. Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. So so throughout history, there had always been people seeking to to curse, to injure, to oppress God's people. All these characters that, that maybe you've never heard of, all these places maybe you've never heard of before, they're all referencing attempts. The, the nations that were surrounding God's people to injure, oppress, to curse And God reminds them of all of the ways that God had intervened to provide for them, to protect them because of the relationship that God wanted to have with them. And so as God reminds them of that kindness and that kindness as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 2 would bring them to repentance in reminding the people about all the good that God has done, the expectation was that their hearts would turn back to God and that changed heart would lead to a changed intention, which would then lead to changed action. God's not a God of behavior modification, just fixing behavior. God restores the heart and out of the heart, the good things that God wants from us flow naturally because God has restored a relationship. Micah tells us the response. With with what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my spirit? In response to God's kindness, a restorative justice as opposed to a punitive justice. What what are the people supposed to do? What does God want from them? What does God want from us? Is it an offering? A sacrifice? Penance of some kind? Micah tells the people, no, that isn't what God is looking for. It says in verse 8, he has told you human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. 
A lot of time, energy, resources are, are spent on stuff that isn't actually what God wants from us. In, in our individual lives, when we know that we've done something wrong, so many of us strive to, to balance the scales. If I do enough good, it'll outweigh the bad that I do. If I sacrifice enough, if I pay penance, if I make offerings, maybe that will wash away the guilt. And then we, we gather here in worship. And it's great that we do that, that we sing God's praises, that we hear God's promises through God's word, and we come to the table to receive those promises. But what God really wants in response to the kindness, the love, the mercy, the blessing of the Lord is for us to go out into the world and to live according to those promises. That's what God requires. The kindness that God has shown you, revealed in the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the promised return of Jesus, who showed you that God is with you, that God is for you, that God forgives you, and that God restores you. What is the reminder of that kindness do? What does it produce within you? Does, that, does a reminder of that kindness turn your heart in God's direction? Does it cause you to, to shift your intentions away from your version of life and, and toward God's version? Will that shift lead to you participating in God's restorative justice, feasting on a future that is just? We live in a world right now where there is so much division. We're divided along racial lines, gender lines, socioeconomic lines, partisan political lines. And that's not what God intends, but there are plenty of people in our world who do intend that division. There are plenty of people who want to monetize and capitalize on this division. And you don't have to look much further than turning on the television to your favorite cable news channel, because that's all they're doing, is selling you on division. That's not what God wants for us. These, these barriers that exist between us that God didn't do. Humanity has set those up. As a society, we don't hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. We don't hunger and thirst for God's future, and we have to be brought to justice. But not a, a punitive justice, because that's really what those who seek to divide are trying to do. They're trying to punish those on the other side who don't agree with them. What God is looking for and what God intends is a restorative justice. And while you and I may not be personally guilty for all of the ways that our world has broken God's covenant, just as it's unlikely that every member of the audience that Micah is speaking to and writing to was guilty of whatever it was that led to Micah's prophetic accusation. Every one of us is part of the system of humanity. 
And so every one of us is part of the problem. But if we're part of the problem, we can also be a part of the solution by doing justice, embracing faithful love, walking humbly with God. And so what does that look like? Well, if it starts with a heart restoration, then we actually have to reverse the order that Micah gives to us. It starts with walking humbly with God, humbling ourselves and saying, I don't like to say that I'm a part of the problem, but I am a part of the problem, God, and I need your help to be a part of the solution. And the way that God forms us into that is through relationship, restored in Christ and walked out on a daily basis, engaging with God through prayer, through scripture, through gratitude for God's blessings. These aren't activities that we put on our list to check off every day. They are the very places where God can meet us and form us into the people we were intended to be. Coming to church on Sunday is fine and good, and I want you to do that. Worship is great, but if, it, if what we do on Sunday doesn't change how we live on Monday, then what we do on Sunday doesn't really matter a whole heck of a lot. What, Micah, what God said through Micah is that just a, a weekly engagement, a worship service, sacrifice, penance, that's not what God requires. It's this daily walking humbly with God. And I know for me, even as a pastor, Daily time with God is sometimes pretty hard to come by. It's easy to say that I'm busy and I don't have time for that, but the days that I spend 10, 15, 20 minutes alone with God doing something are the days that I most feel the presence of God, that I I most remember God's kindness, and that turns me back in the direction of God's will which leads me to embracing faithful love, possessing the faithful love of God, and then expressing that faithful love to others. The Hebrew word for mercy is chesed, and it imagines us looking and acting towards others with compassion that leads to sacrificial action. This is just another way of saying doing justice. There are singular acts of injustice in our world. There are systemic injustices as well. What's your stance towards those? Do you pray, act, speak in opposition? Or do you remain silent? Or even deny their existence? In doing so, when we deny that they exist, we make ourselves complicit. I think it's really hard to ignore and deny the injustices in our world. The the more we walk humbly with God and the more we embrace faithful love because God begins to open our eyes when we do that to what is really going on. When God puts us in relationship with those who experience things maybe we've never have. I I remember shortly after the the, the murder of George Floyd in, in Minneapolis. I was at a, a party and was talking to a neighbor uh, when we lived in, in that neighborhood who is African-American. 
and it was really raw for, for her, and, and, and she was sharing her experience. She grew up in, in Detroit and, and had many experiences of racism in her life. And, and, you know, sometimes it's easy when people claim things like that to say, well, you know, well, maybe they had it coming, or maybe, maybe they shouldn't have done this or, or, or that. This is a person whose only real explanation for what had happened to her was the color of her skin. And being in relationship with a person like that makes it really hard to pretend like that stuff doesn't happen. You hear these experiences, and the Spirit begins to gnaw at your heart to show you what it is that God requires of you in the specific situations you find yourself in. And maybe it's just listening and honoring the experiences of other people. Maybe it's time, maybe it's taking some action of some kind as well. But God leads you into that. Regardless, doing justice, embracing faithful love, walking humbly with God, living in right relationship with others, whether you and I think they deserve it or not, it's difficult. It's costly. And yet it is the example and the witness of Jesus. The cross may have seemed like punitive justice and in fact was punitive justice in the world that Jesus lived in. Jesus was executed by the state. It was a death penalty exercised on him. And yet, the cross was also restorative justice. As Jesus gave up something that he never should have had to in order to bring about God's future. A future that is just. And so when we're tempted to reject God's will for what is needed from us, may we be reminded of of all the good that God has done for us, all that God has promised to do, all the ways in which God has provided for and protected us. May that reminder free us to respond by doing justice. Embracing faithful love and walking humbly with God. Feasting on a future of restorative justice that will provoke life. Would you rise and pray with me? Lord, we we live in a world that there is significant injustice, significant inequality. Folks crying out under the weight of that. And it's hard to to imagine our role in that and our, our responsibility for that when we're so detached from it, for many of us. Lord, you you don't call us to repentance in order to place more burdens of guilt, but instead to remove burdens, to set us free, to participate in the justice that you are bringing about, where relationships are restored and barriers are broken down, where those who would seek to monetize and capitalize on anxiety, that that their power would be toppled in favor of the, the kind of community that you wanted the world to be. It's not pie in the sky, Lord. It's, it's every bit your intention. 
to create a world that you are in relationship with and that we are in relationship together, reflecting your goodness and your grace and your glory. And so, Lord, reveal to us whatever part we play in that. Show us, Lord, what we need to repent of, what we need to change. Remind us of all that you've done for us. Set us free so that we might be instruments of your restorative justice. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.